I hope you all enjoyed a Thanksgiving in moments or hours or days, that you had some blessings and all of that. And welcome to the season of Advent. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations in each of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I made a very quick trip home to Michigan to spend Thanksgiving with my family. And in the week before that and during that and now, we are very aware, any of us, all we have to do is look around to know we're in a season of a lot of preparation. The week before Thanksgiving, buying, uh, trying to find our, our unfrozen turkeys in the supermarket. And I witnessed on Thanksgiving, before the meal is even over, people looking through the, the sale ads, maybe even venturing out to the store to prepare for the next holiday, Black Friday, which has become a commercial holiday in half the countries of the world, believe it or not. And even nations that do not celebrate Christmas, they will celebrate Black Friday. And then from that day forward, there are Christmas lights going up and Christmas trees being put up. And I came home after a walk on the Friday after Thanksgiving to find my dad up in the attic of the garage doing his annual search for the Christmas tree stand because he never remembers where he put it. So everyone is preparing. And in the life of the church, we too enter a season of preparation called Advent. We might think that Advent is all about preparing for one day of the year. In our Western Christian culture, that would be December 25, when we celebrate the birthday, the anniversary of the birth of Jesus. But Advent tells us much more and invites us to prepare for much more than just one day out of the year. Our scriptures today speak about living our lives every day in service to God's realm. Not just waiting for one final day of judgment when everything will come to a halt and we're hopeful that we end up on the right side of God's judgment. And Advent is not just waiting for one day at Christmas and that after which we fall exhausted. We remember that Jesus said at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And right before that, he said, Now go out into the world and make disciples of all nations. Teach them everything I have taught you. And elsewhere in the Gospel, Jesus says that the kingdom of God has come near in me, he said. And as he sent out his disciples into the world, He said, go out and heal the sick, cast out demons, bring the good news of God's love to all people, and tell them that the kingdom of God has come near in you. And he says, the kingdom of God is within you. So friends, we are containers. We are vessels of the very Spirit of God that came upon Jesus when he was baptized. And since we are vessels of this, we're reminded what is often said about God's realm, that it's already, but not yet. It has come in part, and we understand it with the birth of Jesus who taught us the path to God. God's realm has already come. 
But it's still coming because we still do not have God's dream world of peace and harmony and goodwill for all. So there is still work to be done. The question that Advent gives us then is how then shall we live this, these days of Advent but every day? Understanding in a new way or again that we carry God's spirit and therefore God's realm in our very selves. The 20th century priest Chardin describes us, as you may have heard, that we humans are not first humans having a spiritual experience, but we are spiritual beings having a human experience right here and now. So with this reality, we will focus this Advent season in our sermons on what it means to be active, actively living out God's realm and all we say and do. The passages today kind of speak of gloom and doom and judgment. Some of them might be familiar to you. So let's take a look at what they're trying to invite us to today. The prophet Isaiah, who lived in the 8th century BCE, is speaking to the kingdom of the Hebrew nation in Judah, which was the southern kingdom. God's chosen people were in divided kingdoms at that time, a northern one in Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah where the city of Jerusalem is, where the temple of God resided. And Isaiah is speaking to those people of God in Jerusalem. And he says, the, the book starts out, not the word that Isaiah heard from God, but the word that Isaiah saw. And this is unique among the other books of the prophets. He speaks with great imagery. And let's go there together to see what he, the picture he is painting. Isaiah says, In the days to come, or there will come a day, when the mountain of God's house will be the highest. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, you know that the temple sits on a mountain, on a hill, but it's not the highest hill in the city. But Isaiah says there will come a day when it will be. It will be seen as the highest because it is the residence of God. And it will be exalted. And all the Hebrews, all the Jewish people, and all nations will stream to that mountain. This would include Jews and non-Jews and the enemies of God's people. It may include refugees from the north after the kingdom of Assyria obliterated that northern kingdom of Israel. All people will be streaming, just like a river. Imagine that scene of ongoing people coming to God's mountain. And why are they coming? So that they can hear and learn and live out the Torah of God. That's the word in Hebrew that is used for the instruction, the teachings of God. And why do they want to learn? So that they can walk in God's path. And this shows us that inherently we have a longing for God's good instruction for our lives. Anything that leads to more life, love, and faith, we really do desire. But the things of the world grab our attention away from that. So one day, all of us will be streaming that we might know God's instruction. 
And then what will happen? Isaiah describes that people will have swords and will beat them. The Hebrew word there has a sense of crushing or pulverizing. These swords will be crushed into plows, which will be used for preparing soil, for planting things and growing food. And any who have spears, those spears too will be crushed and transformed into pruning shears to care for the growing plants so that they might be as productive as possible. And Isaiah says this will happen because when the nations of the world become teachable and seek out God's good instruction to do God's will, all weapons of war and violence, spears, guns, tanks, bombs, bombers, and drones, all those instruments will be rendered useless. Right and just living will prevail. Care for one another will be the new aim of every day. And Isaiah says, no one will learn war anymore. And that is because the hearts of those who teach war and violence will be transformed. And they will become promoters of God's goodwill, of peace and loving justice. This word is what Isaiah saw. He paints a picture of a hopeful day to come. A path of light where no evil that leads to human selfishness or pride or hatred or violence can exist or survive. As we hear in John's Gospel, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome. And Isaiah ends this picture he paints with these words to the people, Come, let us walk in the light of God. What Isaiah describes is a utopia, an ideal state of being. It's God's dream for the world and indeed God's plans for all of us in the world. But as biblical scholar Tyler Mayfield points out, utopias serve a purpose. Speaking of them is to critique the current state of affairs of any culture. It's to offer a course correction So in the prophet Isaiah's world at that time, this vision, this utopia, this dream of God was not the reality. He looked around the temple and he saw inappropriate worship, people resting on their laurels, probably worshiping other gods. They were not caring for the poor, the oppressed, the stranger. They were not listening and obeying to God's law. Isaiah is saying in this passage, Start living out this utopia now. That's how this vision of God will come true for you. But you have to live it. Now can be that day that is coming. We move from the word that Isaiah saw to the word that Jesus describes for us and his audience during the time of Matt, during the time he lived in Palestine. This passage from Matthew may be familiar if you know the series of books and movies, the Left Behind series. The very title of that probably came from a passage like this about end times or the second coming of Christ when there will be a final judgment of God and there will be winners 
and losers. Some will be included in some heavenly realm. Some will surely be excluded. When we take these words literally, that's what we get, a fear-based teaching. But we have to remember Jesus taught in parables which were always exaggerations. Jesus was not speaking literally when he taught, but he used images that would be familiar to his audience, like of agriculture or farming, so they could easily enter into the story, find themselves in it, only to be surprised by some of the elements Jesus added to wake them up and turn their realities upside down and consider how they were living. So this is what we see today. Jesus talks about Noah, that man of God who was faithful and righteous, whom God chose to build an ark, invited then Noah to take his whole family and one of every kind of creature to put it on that ark, for a flood was coming to destroy the world. It was so unrighteous. So Noah did that faithfully. One day it began raining, and sure enough, a flood came. The world, the earth, was destroyed all but Noah and his family. They were the ones left behind because of their righteousness. They were the ones able to continue to carry out God's dream. There was still a lot of work to be done to make that happen. Noah and his family were chosen to keep doing that work and invite others along the way. So Jesus references Noah. And then he moves into this parable. And I invite us to reimagine this with the help of biblical scholar Wesley Allen Jr., who considers this parable in a different way than we may have. We're told that two are in a field. One is taken, one is left behind on the day of the Lord. And Jesus says that day will come like a thief in the night. No one can know. And in the same way, two are grinding their grain at the mill and suddenly one is taken and one is left behind. Jesus is saying, keep awake. So imagine, like the story of Noah, that the ones left behind in the field or the granary are the faithful. They have been awake. They have been alert to how Christ is coming again in their daily living, not just one day out in the future. And because they're awake, they have not missed caring for the poor, the hungry, the, the orphan, the immigrant, the children, the widow. Knowing that they are vessels of God's Spirit, they see Christ in the other. So if the ones left behind are the faithful and the righteous, what if the ones taken away are those of us who get swept away by the cares of this world. We may get caught up in our pride or selfishness or fear that keeps us try striving to secure ourselves. And before we even know it, we're overworking, overbuying, overworrying, or we're striving to numb our fears by overdoing, overdrinking, overeating. All of these things take us away from the reality of God's realm. 
We get swept up by the world, overcome like a, a great flood. And we're not the ones then clutching the instruments that bring nurture, like the plow or the pruning shear. We may find ourselves with weapons of violence or war. So fearful are we in believing we have to protect ourselves and defend ourselves from something that we're not participating in God's nourishing kingdom. Those tools of weapons that become tools for growth and nurturing, we will taste together the fruits of that here at the Lord's table. A plow and pruning shears help to create the grain and the fruit that brings us the bread and the cup. This is a meal of remembrance where we remember the life and teachings of Jesus, where we come to be sustained in our peacemaking selves. We come to be instructed again with the word, God's life-giving word on the highest of mountains that will nurture us for our daily life. This is God's dream, the dream that Isaiah saw, that all of us not be the ones taken up out of the field, out of the greenhouse, out of our own lives, by the cares of, or ways of this world. That we not be taken up into living in ways that diminish or even destroy life. God's dream is that the only thing that takes us up is the path to God's holy mountain. The only thing that takes us up is a desire to be taught by God every day for how to live well, that we might enjoy peace and harmony and goodwill with all, that we might ever be turning over our weapons of violence, that God might crush them into tools that cultivate and nourish. God's dream is that we are truly left behind with these tools of nurture in our hands. That in our homes and workplaces, school, wherever we travel, that we are aware that we contain and we breathe God's kingdom. God's dream is that we are always being taught how to grow in love, how to love and serve God and others, how to best parent our children, how to best be kids to our parents, how to be loving teachers and medical professionals, business people, social workers, volunteers, how to best serve those that we mentor or tutor, how to best feed the hungry and give shelter to the homeless and sanctuary to those in danger, whether stranger or friend. God's dream is that wherever there is help needed, we will be the ones left behind to offer it. That in each and every person we see Christ and honor it and serve it and love that person who bears Christ's image. And God's dream is that we strive to in and invite others every day to walk in the light of the Lord. Friends, may this be good news to us today. Amen.